Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews, unforgettable stories, taking you beyond the ropes. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. What's up, folks? Welcome to the program. Hope you guys are having a good Tuesday. So we've got a lot to go through with you today. Want to talk more about what took place at Live in Australia because we didn't get a chance to, to bring you any of the sound. Uh, both DJ and Brooks have said that they want to play in the Ryder Cup. And it's kind of gotten to a point where I think if this was a few months ago, kind of the machine, if you will, would have been like no chance, right? Now, when they asked Zach Johnson, Captain Zach Johnson about it, he was kind of like, well, I don't know how that's going to work out yet. I don't know. I don't know. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't this like clear cut line like no. Because the PGA of America, who actually administers the U.S. side of the Ryder Cup, has said, they haven't said that they they can't play. They're pretty much going like, well, if you qualify or you get picked, you qualify or you get picked. And right now, Brooks is, what, 17th on the list? I think DJ is 30th, if I'm not mistaken. Phil Mickelson is somewhere in the, the mid-20s. So it's an interesting story. So I, I want you to hear from, from more from the, the live guys because they have that sound. Uh, Taylor Gooch had two record rounds in that league was 62 in his first two rounds before kind of slowing down in the final round, but he did enough to win. So full credit to him for that. Want to talk about the PGA Tour, the uh, PGA Tour radio recap with Earl Forsey and Dennis Paulson at the Zurich Classic, which I'd like to open with this morning because – uh, gents, it's a different format. It's it's just not what we expect on a week-in, week-out basis, obviously, because we don't have a two-man team competition. But one of the things that has made the whole world of golf feel more fresh is these different formats. And not that this one is necessarily new, but it is different. And I don't know. I, I like it. I like to change the pace. Earl Forsey and Dennis Paulson. Matt, thanks. It's always a unique week in New Orleans, the only team competition for the FedEx Cup regular season at the Zurich Classic of New Orleans. It was a thrilling finish again on Sunday. Former Tour winner Dennis Paulson was alongside. We saw some unbelievable scoring this week in foursomes, Dennis. Alternate shot, we had it again on Sunday. And a late birdie barrage from the team of Davis, Riley, and Nick Hardy won it. Those two winners now for the first time in their careers. Pretty incredible the way the whole thing went down. I mean, it, there was probably five teams that really looked like they had a chance with all sorts of stuff going on. And when it all comes down to it, stepping up and hitting golf shots are really, really huge. But the mistakes that you can make, just a subtle little mistake, and all of a sudden it can kind of turn the other way. And for our leaders through the first three rounds, Clark and Hostler, they were going along just fine, just off the back of the green at number seven, and they chipped it off the green and made that bogey earl, and nothing was the same after that for them. It seemed like they were just battling, and it was so easy up to that point. It opened the door. Uh, the Canadians, Taylor and Hadwin, uh, shot 63 uh, to match uh, the new foursomes record, which was set earlier in the week by Shoffley and Cantley, the defending champions. And, oh, by the way, they made a run on Sunday. They had a chance at the end. Dennis Shoffley and Cantley, uh, I mean, I talked about it Sunday. They're the best team in golf. I mean, there's no other team in the world right now as good as they are. 
in team competition, is there? No, there isn't. But what did them in was their best ball for it. They were one over par through the first six holes in the tournament as a defending champion. They did get a 500 par round of golf in. But that, that 67, and then they ended up shooting 66 in the other format. That's only 133. They spotted the leaders 10 shots, but they shot 129. How about that? 129 in the alternate shot. And that was with a closing bogey on the last hole trying to make a birdie. And uh, Patrick got over the top of it trying to push that number, just couldn't do it. And, um, but valiant effort trying to you know, defend their title. It was a great week of golf, Matt. We go south of the border next week to Abierto Mexicano de Golf, the Mexican Open at Vidanta. Cannot wait, gents. Thank you so much for that. That was uh, Dennis Paulson and Earl Forsey with PGA Tour Radio, which you can hear week in and week out at for tour events on PGATour.com or the PGA Tour app. Both are free, and they work all over the world, or if you pay for the National Satellite Service, Sirius XM. And we will be going over. I may not get to it today, but I will go over for you at least tomorrow how, when, and where you can get all your golf coming up this week. And there is a lot of it coming up this week as well. Now, yesterday... If you were with us for the show, you saw this interview with Dr. Michael Maloney where he took us through the operation that Tiger had. And I have to tell you, it was the way I described it went, you know, on social media later on in the day, sending send it out. I retweeted Dom's link to the uh, full interview that you can find on our Fairways of Life page on YouTube. I said it was sobering because – you know, early reports are that, yeah, he, you know, he had this operation done in his ankle. It's going to take away the pain. And, you know, thankfully, it's his right foot, not his left. And it seems like, yeah, we're all just going to go skipping down the fairway and everything is going to be great. But Dr. Michael Maloney was explaining to us. He didn't say that that couldn't happen. But what he was explaining to us was. When you do this, it moves the stress points to other joints. So I just thought it was really interesting. And I remember Dom telling me as, as you guys were sending in messages yesterday during the live show that a lot of people were saying, Tiger's probably done. I don't know if that's the case or not, but you know, when you, because the doctor was talking about how the foot moves side to side. Hey, wait, I'll let you see. Here's a, here's a, a clip from the doctor where he was, where he had a skeleton of an ankle and he was explaining to his movement. I think as you know, anyone who's watched Tiger uh, compete in the last year, um, obviously he's not the same guy. And uh, it's apparent how he walks. Um, it's apparent on his face that he's been, you know, pretty uncomfortable. Um, and golf, as we know, for these professionals is a very demanding uh, pursuit and um, certainly at Augusta with that terrain and the topography of the course um, it was very very difficult for him and I think the weather probably didn't help either uh, so he was experiencing a lot of pain and restriction um, in the foot and ankle joint um, and I think ultimately that subtalar joint that you referenced um, was probably where a lot of the post-traumatic arthritis had developed and if that is something that is not able to be overcome with the physical therapy and medications, braces and whatnot, um, a surgical option becomes um, apparent. And for him, that's what he pursued. So the surgical option of a subtalar fusion implies actually fusing two bones together. And the purpose of that is to 
eliminate the joint and thereby the symptoms coming from the joint, which were the arthritic symptoms, pain, swelling, stiffness, uh, those type of things. And so your x-rays depict that very well. Um, I brought a model along, which might be useful too. Um, this is a, an ankle joint, a right ankle joint. The bones you referenced before, that's the tibia. The outside one is the fibula. So the talus is the bone that's beneath the tibia. That's the ankle joint itself. And then the subtalar joint is the joint that's between the talus and the heel bone called the calcaneus. And so a lot of the motion that's in that joint kind of is a side to side motion. And, um, you know, as, as described, the, uh, the fractures and the injuries that were involving the talus and the fibula um, and the tibia all kind of have healed, but he's got this post-traumatic arthritis and the symptoms from that were what were, we were witnessing when we watched him try to play. So, again, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer on this thing, but when you, when you listen to a doctor talking about the severity of the injuries, then the arthritis, and then when they went in and they put the screws in and they seal it and, they, and the ankle can't move, and, okay, well, what do you lose? you got to lose something. And he was explaining, well, yeah, it's that kind of side-to-side motion. Okay. So if you don't have the capacity to do that and your ankle's kind of locked in and you're loading on that right side, it sounds great, right, for a golf swing. But then he talked about how it moves stresses to other – it goes somewhere. And he said it could go even as high as the knee. But don't forget, he had a compound fracture in that right leg as well that's also put together with screws and bolts. You know, I asked him about, because you remember, Dr. Michael Maloney was on with us within 24 hours of Tiger's near-fatal accident. And remarkably at that time when he came on, when he talked, he was in scrubs because he was just about to go into the operating room and all the rest. When he came on, what he described could happen is exactly what did happen. He was the first one that I heard on a national broadcast basis that spoke about the risk of the loss of that right leg, which Tiger now tells us in every press conference he's in to say, yeah, I almost lost my right leg. And at a time where many media outlets were on some type of shutdown of information, this is, this is inside info I'm giving you in terms of, in terms of what so-called speculation they, they could make about how it happened, why it happened, and what exactly happened to him. Here you had an expert on there that said, well, this is what, to, based on the information that we got from the accident report that's public, this is what it means. So when he was on with us yesterday, I wanted to ask about that. I, you know, we know that Tiger has access to the best of the best of the best, but given the fact that we've been able to see him play some golf since this accident, just how remarkable is it? You know, again, I think as we've talked previously, the recovery that he's demonstrated has truly been remarkable, miraculous, whatever adjective you want to ascribe to it. Um, again, I think the magnitude of the force that uh, went through his foot and ankle joint at the time of that accident at the, at the index trauma is just so tremendous. And that bone, the talus, which is the small bone, again, underneath the tibia and fibula, the talus is the small one, 
has a very um, kind of complicated and, and uh, nuanced blood flow pattern. And so injury to the talus itself oftentimes is uh, the healing of that bone is complicated by that unique blood flow pattern. So um, I think that was one of the concerns because people talked about his talus being involved at the original injury. And it's known that that talus has a, a very a unique blood supply pattern that can compromise its ability to heal. Anytime you're dealing with a, um, you know, limited healing capacity and the joint is involved, remember the joint is, a, is the area between two bones, um, that can lead to that post-traumatic arthritis. And um, anyone who's got <clears throat> a diagnosis of arthritis knows there's achiness, there's swelling, there's pain. Um, and so again, the idea that he had to overcome significant injuries involving a bone that has a very compromised blood, uh, blood flow pattern to begin with, uh, just in, indicates that there's, you know, just kind of a progression that can happen over time. And so again, um, not really surprising that he's, you know, where he is and that he's had to go through this. It's a, a not uncommon, um, you know, next step, if you will, in the treatment of the post-traumatic arthritis that develops after an injury of this magnitude. All right, Dr. Michael Maloney from the show yesterday. Again, if you log on to our Fairways of Life YouTube channel, you can see the entire interview. I think it went almost 30 minutes with the doctor yesterday. It gave us a massive amount of time. The PGA Tour Superstore is the presenting sponsor of the Fairways of Life show. They're the number one golf retailer in all of America. Now 60 big Beautiful stores spread out from coast to coast. Inside of those stores, you can find everything and anything you possibly could want or need for your golf game, whether you swing it, whether you wear it, whether you learn from it. And best of all, you are being taken care of by the best of the best. They are number one, too, because they are professionals. It's not like you're just going into a store and they're trying to sell you fishing gear over here or, uh, you know, weight equipment over there. This is about golf. This is about you, and this is about making sure that you get the very, very best. Check them out at PGATourSuperstore.com. Shop with the pros and find your happy place. When we come back, a winner on the PGA Tour, Destin. Easy now. Find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! (laughs) Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. In Ireland, golf is more than just a game. Come and experience our world-famous Lynx courses and our world-famous Parkland courses. All set alongside world-famous scenery. And visit our world-famous historic sites. And while you're here, enjoy our world-famous hospitality. Fill your heart with Ireland at ireland.com forward slash golf. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the Bridgestone Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try Bridgestone's Tour Bs. The Tour Ball reinvented. 
Nothing feels quite like hitting a PXG iron. That's because we use hollow body construction coupled with the thinnest club face in golf and a vibration-absorbing polymer. These technologies make hitting our irons feel soft as warm butter on a hot biscuit and create a bigger sweet spot, which means more forgiveness, better distance, and lower scores. Play PXG and see how sweet, real power, and incredible forgiveness can be. PXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Baseball? Nah. Football? Done it. I think I'm going to go after the PGA Tour. Bo, you're going to need the right equipment company. I think I got that. You know Tour Edge backs all their clubs with a lifetime warranty. I know. They ship all their premium custom clubs in 48 hours. I know. All their premium clubs are hand-built in the USA. I know. You know Tour Edge has won 35 times out here. Guys, I know. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One zero one. Gives you feedback in real time. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. The Wiz have really helped me to keep that consistent swing. You can go out there on your own and just hit balls and it'll fix your golf game. Transition on plane. The Wiz, sold exclusively at thewizgolf.com. Welcome back to Fairways of Life Show. Pleasure to have your company from wherever you are joining us around the globe on this Tuesday. I'm not sure where he's joining us from today. Dickie Pride is a PGA Tour Champions player. He has won at every level of golf that he has competed on, including what's now called the Corn Ferry Tour, the PGA Tour, and, of course, out on the Champs Tour. Dickie, how have you been? Where are you? Dickie answers me with silence. Because he's not allowed to reveal his location. When Dickie connects, we're going to reconnect with him. So apparently he's having trouble. Wherever he is, he's having trouble connecting. All right, so I promised you this yesterday. I wasn't able to get to it. I will get to it now since we have this opportunity. Taylor Gooch opened 62-62. It is now a winner at Live where they were in Australia, where they had massive crowds uh, did and, and this is a question I have for you guys that, that send in messages to us as we're on the air. Is it possible that through the Masters, which is the thing I was talking to Dom about yesterday, through the Masters and the performance of three of the top six and Reed and Mickelson and, and Kepka, uh, and with the reception that they've got in Australia, is it possible now that there's room in the world for both? Here is Taylor Gooch after his win. I, I think golf is just really hard. It, uh, it's hard to, to put back-to-back days together like I did and even harder to do it three times in a row. So, you know, I actually played fine out there today. I, it, the golf gods, I think, said, you know, we don't want this first win to be easy on you. Uh, I had a couple, you know, bad breaks here and there. And so it made things interesting. Uh, but it was, it was cool to kind of, you know, overcome the adversity and, and dig deep. After I made a double on number 10, I, I was kind of a – a point of, you know, we're either going to dig deep and do this or you're going to stumble coming in. So it was cool to, you know, dig deep and, and get the job done. Uh, incredible. And, and even more special with my caddy being from Australia. Uh, we've been, you know, looking forward to this tournament for so long. And um, I, I couldn't have picked a more fun, uh, a more meaningful tournament to win on live than, than here in, in Australia in front of the the greatest crowds we've had, the greatest environment we've had. The course is phenomenal. I mean, every, everything about it was was just first class. And 
uh, like I said, just that much more special with my caddy being from Australia and getting him a, a win here in, in his home, home country. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I, I didn't help us get a team win today, but, you know, everyone, uh, when, I, when I finished up and I got the win, they were all there to greet me and, and tell me congrats, and Bubba came and gave me a big hug and told me how nervous he was for me throughout the day. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it, we've got a cool, a, a cool group, and, um, you know, hopefully we can, uh, we can get on the podium as a team really, really soon. I would prefer it to be in Tulsa. Let's do it next week, but especially Tulsa would be super, super cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, like I said to everyone yesterday, I knew we had to come out hot, you know, try to try to get some birdies going early as a team so that we could get get a lead and, and try to try to capture a win. And unfortunately, um, you know, I, I didn't help the team today. It, it was tough enough uh, just trying to play good golf myself, but I was also very aware of what was going on with the team, and I was rooting. I knew that my score wasn't going to count, unfortunately, so I was rooting hard for the other three guys. Um, you know, obviously, I, I was trying to get a win, but I was ever, you know, just as tuned in to the to the team uh, as I was to myself for for the back nine, especially. So um, it was frustrating that we couldn't get the win for sure. But um, you know, is it a step in the right direction for us as a team? And you know, I, I think it's just a matter of time before we're up on that podium. Yeah, the team he's talking about because they finished one stroke back of the four aces, which DJ, Uline, Perez, and Reed. So I understand uh, Dickie Pride's reconnected. Are you out there, my friend? I'm here. Uh, we'll see how long it lasts. I'm now wandering around. I'm on the basketball court. I'm on the sport court now. There we go. Where are so you? We're trying to get in. I'm in the woodlands. Oh, so very I'm in a hotel with the woodlands and about to go play a pro-am and you know, just kind of wandering around aimlessly, talking to my phone, making people feel really uncomfortable. That's all right. You need a dog or something. Did you ever travel with animals in the day? No. No, did not. No we pets. didn't have animals today. No, no, didn't travel. We did it one time, and uh, it was fine, but that's just one more thing I don't want to worry about when I'm trying to play a golf tournament. And what were you travel? Was it a dog? Uh, at that particular time, it was a cat. So, I see. I'm had, trying to figure uh, out how do you travel with the cat? How does it? Do you put like a little a kitty litter box in the car? If the cat has to go. Yeah, yeah. You put the you do that, and you really cage them because a cat will just take off. They're just you know gone, and you got to go. Uh, we got to go get the cat out of this parking lot. Now I'm not fast enough to catch it. Are you a cat person or a dog person? I'm really more of a dog person, but I like it. Well, we have four cats right now, so what? Yeah, I guess I guess I'm a cat. Yeah, we were we were at sticks at one point, but we had we got the kids. We got cats when the kids were three and five, and they lived for seventeen years and eighteen years. Nice. So they were around a long time, and then one time. My my wife wanted an orange tabby, and I got a text on the golf course. I got a call on the golf course. I was at Bay Hill. I was playing, and she said, did you look at your text? I said, no, I'm playing. What? And she said, look at your text. And there's these pictures of this cat. And I said, what's that? She goes, his name is Baxter. I said, okay, uh... He goes, well, we talked about this. 
well, oh, if I recall we what I said, this. Yeah. we talked about this and I said, well, if I recall what was said was I want to get, I'm thinking about getting an orange cabbie. And I said, well, I don't know about that. She goes, see, I told you we talked about it. And Baxter is now 15. So he's and, still with us. And they, they just keep showing up. We've had three different cats show up at our back door and that are still with us. I mean, you can't blame the cats. The cats are like telling their buddies, like, hey, show up over here. Dickie Pride's going to take you in. Give you it's some It's an tuna. open food table. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. We, yeah, we're just, they, they have food's right there. Here's the water. Here's the litter box. We'll let you in and out. Let's go play. The so. disturbing thing about this is I now have this image of the inside of your house with, like, multiple cats, like, piles of stuff. Are, are, you, are you like a hoarder? No. No, no, Come no, no, on. No, no. Not a hoarder. No, no. And the only thing I still have, like all my dad's golf clubs that are obsolete, that I just can't get myself to do anything with. Uh, like old McGregor's and stuff? No. Oh, I've got some of that stuff, my grandfather's. I've got the last wooden driver I played, which oh. was fun. Uh, so the last wooden driver I played was a Hogan Apex. This is a quick story. It's, it's a long story. I don't have quick stories. Dude, we just spent 10 minutes this, right? on cats. We can, we could tell us about your driver. <laughs> so I'm in eighth grade and I'm trying to qualify for the high school golf team. And I get on the first tee and I hit it so far on the toe. It hits the tee marker to the right and goes a foot in front of me. Now, of course, everyone on the team is just rolling, laughing, watching me do this. But anyway, I qualify. I get back from that. And this is that wooden driver. So I get back from that, and I tell my dad, Dad, I can't straighten out my arm. He goes, sure you can. Well, no, it couldn't. So I had surgery a week later. I had, a, I had a bone chip in there and all this stuff, and so I don't have a cartilage in my left arm. Is a long story of that. The good part about it is that wooden driver, I, it was a Hogan with a speed slot on it. Yeah. And the speed slot still has a has, – has, uh, paint from the tee how far i hit it on the toe oh and my that gosh. is hanging hanging in my office uh with the the it, that's there i've got my grandfather's last set of wooden clubs that have his initials on the bottom which are my same initials rfp and i have the driver out one with i have some old putters and stuff but i guess i am a hoarder god you're killing me i feel terrible about myself matt why am i on here i don't know it's just about the cats and the junk but the- <laughs> You know, I have to tell you, I never knew that story about you getting the operation when you were a kid. Given that it was yeah. your left arm and given that it was a tendon, that a lot of times that's fatal to a, to a, a player that had aspirations to be better or become a touring professional such as yourself. Because it, I, I think about, for example, like John McGinnis, when he fell down and had that operation done, the doctor told me, said, look, yeah. you're going to be able to hit a 260, but that's it. And he can hit it 260, and that's it because because he lost that tendon in there. Was do you think because you were so young that you were able to oh, kind yeah. of overcome that and learn to get a work around it? Oh, no question. I mean, I was 13 when it happened, and it happened because I took a charge in basketball and came back on my elbow. So, yeah, I mean, I've just always known it. I and I mean, I'm like hypermobile in my left elbow, so I have to watch. It's one of those things I have to watch in my setup. If I don't pay attention, I'll lock my left arm out. And of course, I've you know probably from that I've had you know my left thumb is fused, 
it's probably from making up for my elbow. I still have tendonitis in my elbow all the time, tennis elbow, golf elbow, whatever you want to say. Yeah. Uh, it's just one of those things I've always dealt with, so I don't really know any different. You're right now, of course, dealing with playing some great golf. What What is going on in the game of, uh, of Dickie Pride that's going so well? Well, I think the first thing is I, I lost about 30 pounds. That nice. That a lot. Uh, you can't really tell when I when I hold it. When I go like this and I show my sponsors, you know, I have like four chins. But I actually have lost 30 pounds. No, no, we can tell. Nice. You look good. <laughs> that, yeah, we got to the end of the year and my wife just looked at me and said, you have no idea how much food you're eating. I mean, you're consuming so much. And, you know, it's, it, like when I'm at a tournament, I'm always, I've got to fuel up, whatever. And I just was eating so much and I just cut my portions um, at least in half. And yeah, I, lost, you know, I lost 30 pounds when I started the first week of the year. I began to, it's harder on the road to lose to keep the weight off, but that's helped a significant amount. Um, yeah, there have been a couple of things. I, I was on a counterbalance putter that I used for two years. I won with it in Atlanta and I wasn't getting what I wanted done with it. And I switched to a standard length, and I committed to it and really worked at getting it better. I think that's helped a lot. Uh, when I saw your sponsor, PGA Tour Superstore, uh, I actually reminded me of, I was at Q School this year, and my four and five iron were going the, wrong, the same distance. And I was on the 11th hole of the practice round, and I looked at my caddy, and I said, these are going the same distance. Let's go. And I went back to my car. I drove to a PGA Superstore. PGA Tour Superstore. I walked in, I got one of the guys and said, okay, here's the deal. My four and five iron are going the same distance. I need some options. And we went over in the hitting bay. They used their launch monitor. I used my launch monitor. Yep, they're going the same distance. What do you got? And I hit like four of them and I bought a four iron with a graphite shaft off the used rack for $120 and I'm still playing it. And I've actually switched to the, the whole set of those types of irons, which are Strixons. And so I'm playing the ZX7 Strixons now, and I'm really hitting those good. I'm really happy with those. Uh, and the four iron is the one that I made the hole in one with. Uh, so it paid nice. for itself. Very, very cool story. Are you sponsored by Strixon? I am not. Well, I we're going to be sending them this clip, dude. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> you can do that. I'm kind of all over the place. You know, I mean, I'm with Stevens. And Ronald McDonald House Charities, which has allowed me to, you know, play whatever clubs I want. Uh, I have a new one since I've spoken to you last. It's really significant this week in Sparity. And since, well, where we go? Yeah, right side. This. There we go. In Spir- yeah, in Sparity Invitational. So uh, that came on this year after Hawaii, which is a, a very big bonus. I was very excited about that. And obviously that helped a lot me getting in here. You want to say uh, this is life of the tour. Here you go. There's Nota Begay walking down the street. Has not combed his hair. He's going for coffee. That is beautiful right there. That's Isn't quality that, that's TV. Very, quality TV right there. He's going to Starbucks. I guarantee you. Anyway, <laughs> so hey. yeah, with the with the sponsorships I have, I'm able to play whatever clubs I need to. Yeah, we have spoken to you in the past about Stevens, and I do want to circle around in, in just a second and talk to you about the Ronald McDonald House again because it deserves to be uh, discussed. But in Sparity, what was the connection there? What is it for you? 
it was actually a connection with the tournament and they just called and said you've helped us out so many times would you like to do something but actually one of my best friends uh is i want to say he's the cfo but i don't think he's the official cfo his name's jim allison and actually it's always fun to come here with woodlands because my rookie year in 1994 jim caddied for me and it was like my second cut I've ever made. And on Friday, I birdied like three of the last five, four of the last five holes to make the cut on the number. So that's always fun to come back with that. Awesome stuff. Yeah, and I love to see that you're playing well, Dickie. You're what, 12th you. in Schwab Cup standings right now and kind of cruising sounds along. right, yeah. yeah. You, oh, you and, feel- you know, I would, be, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention I spent some time with Parker McLaughlin short game chef i'm not sure oh, I, you yeah. know the short game chef thing yeah parker and i have been friends for a long time and i saw him out in hawaii and said man i'm having trouble with this and he saw like two things in my setup and it really helped and then i went and looked at all his video stuff and he has this whole video account thing and i just signed up and looked at all of it because i went out what are you teaching you know I, yes this helped me but let's let's you know, so we dove deeper in it and then we were able to get together finally. We've been trying to get together, but with our schedules, it's been difficult because he lives in Scottsdale and I live in Florida. Uh, the Thursday of Augusta, we met in Atlanta. He was driving back. He'd been working with Keith Mitchell at Augusta National. And then we, I said, well, can you go home Thursday afternoon instead of Wednesday afternoon and spend a day with me up in Atlanta? And we did. And that's had a significant help. Uh, impact as well it's, it's definitely helped a lot and i like the way it's moving that is so cool dude very very cool indeed uh dicky pride our guests uh, covering a lot of different territory as he always does because <laughs> yeah. he's, he's so giving on his time <laughs> yeah. um, i i know you're out walking because you wanted to catch a good uh, cellular service for your phone to be able to join us but Correct. if you can see the photos yes. that we're about to show you uh this is dicky oh, pride yeah. this is Dickie giving back last as week. he always does. This was just last week. Oh, that was last week. She was a beauty. Her, uh, oh my gosh, she was just awesome. That was one of the most fun kids. She decided she did when we got the group picture. She's like, no. So I had to pick her up and bring her over there. And the only way she would take the picture with the group is if I held her upside down. She's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was that was the junior clinic last last week. The invited celebrity classic, and and then they had the you know. Yeah, I mean, that's fun. Last week is fun because you get to play with all these guys and meet all these guys. And I've played with uh, Albert Pujols and Mark Mulder. And uh, I think Mulder beat me, actually. I know Romo beat me on Sunday. Of course, he won the tournament. I'm glad that guy's not 50 because I don't want him out here. But Mulder could flat play, too. And Albert Pujols is... That is, I, I took, we did a little video for a friend of mine that's a Cardinals fan, and I look like I'm the first T kid standing between those guys. They're huge. Yeah, they're big boys. That's so awesome, Dickie. I love all the stuff you're doing. It's no surprise to me at all that you're doing these uh, clinics and, and continuing to give back. I, I told you I wanted to circle back around to the Ronald McDonald House because every time yes. you're on with us, I try to talk to you about this because it is so incredibly moving. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to let you once again tell the world about what the Ronald McDonald House is and why you're associated. Uh, the Ronald McDonald House charities, basically, they are all around the world with all kinds of different children's hospitals. Uh, I got involved in Northeast Ohio, Cleveland Clinic and the Ronald McDonald House in Cleveland. And now we have one in Akron as well. 
and they provide a room and board for families dealing with kids uh, with terminal diseases or diseases that can be fixed. You know, just basically, here's a place to stay. Here's food. You can make your own food. But we've got you and your family. You have a place to stay and take, you know, stay and take care of what you need to take care of, which is take care of your child. So that's what we do. And it has just been a blessing to, uh, working on the, the Pro-Am in Cleveland that got me started. I've been with that for 24 years and I'm on the board of it. And then we started this two years ago with the, you know, bringing out the Ronald McDonald House golf bag to kind of just make everyone aware of what's going on and that, you know, the great work that they do. And it's just amazing. I mean, they it, help families when they need the most to take care of their children. I mean, it's incredible. How do you it's not get behind that? Yeah, and just, I mean, amazing people show up every day. I've been to so many houses. They show up every day with a great attitude to help others. And it's, you know, and I, you know, I get upset because I, you know, hit a ball to the right and the rough. And I got a bad kick. It's like, okay, just shut up and go play. You're playing the game. Let's go. And these people are doing the stuff that really counts. Well, this man, Dickie Pride, has been playing the game for a long time. Uh, I believe it's, yeah, 700-plus starts uh, in various tours event, yeah. but he's also doing a great job. Is that a nice game. way to tell me I'm old, Matt? I mean, no, we all know do. I'm old, right? You're experienced. You're just experienced. <laughs> I'm experienced, yeah, like leather. Okay. Well, he's doing a great job playing the game of life as well. 30 pounds less, he tells us. Uh, Dickie Pride is Thank skinny. Goodness. Dickie Pride now. You can see as he's walking around there, he's getting his 10,000 steps in already this morning. And he wants everyone <laughs> yeah. to know that if you find a cat or have a cat that's in distress, just drop it off at his house and his family's happy to take it in. Yeah. Because that's gonna, the kind it's of gonna people, find a place. It's that's yeah, it's gonna find a place are. somehow. It's just gonna stay forever. It's like, okay. All right, then we get my son. Yeah, we call my son Flesher because he always names all the cats because we all try to get names, and he's the best namer of cats. So that's what we do. Can't blame the cat. There's no doubt about that. Dude, it's great catching up with you. We yeah. love you. We wish you the very, very best. Continue to play well, okay? Thanks, Maddie. See ya. Right, oh, we're sending that stuff to Shrixon. Come on, Shrixon. Step up. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what. They just keep getting me the clubs that help me play well. We're good. Fair enough. That's a start. All right, folks, back with more yeah, of the Fairways right. of Life show right after these words. DeWizGolf.com. Log on when you get a chance. Check out this amazing wearable technology. It is based on neuroscience. We don't even know what that means. I know it can do this, though. It can measure your golf swing in real time and space. What is it that you need to work on? Is it your tempo? Are you like most people and you pull it back really fast and then you bring it back to the ball kind of slow? Is your face open? What do you need to work on? Work on it in a way you never have before with DeWiz. It will give you immediate feedback directly on the device. It will give it to you on the app. It'll give you all the bits and pieces, all the numbers on the app, too, to know exactly what you're doing well or not. DeWizGolf.com with more. Back with more of the Fairways of Life show after this. I guess hello world, huh? (laughs) And with one subtle hello, Tiger began an amazing and unthinkable career. I've done it for 20 years now with with Bridgestone. It allows me to play an aggressive style around the greens, and it's allowed me to win a lot of tournaments. Bridgestone Golf. 
part of your journey. Boyne Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship-caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern Lower Peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to boynegolf.com. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One zero one gives you feedback in real time. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. The Wiz have really helped me to keep that consistent swing. You can go out there on your own and just hit balls, and it'll fix your golf game. Transition on plane. The Wiz sold exclusively at thewizgolf.com. Easy now. Find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! <laughs> Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. Nothing feels quite like hitting a PXG iron. That's because we use hollow body construction coupled with the thinnest club face in golf and a vibration-absorbing polymer. These technologies make hitting our irons feel soft as warm butter on a hot biscuit and create a bigger sweet spot, which means more forgiveness, better distance, and lower scores. Play PXG and see how sweet, real power, and incredible forgiveness can be. PXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Zero Friction introduces the Wheel Pro Push Cart Golf Bag with its revolutionary three-in-one design, supportive legs that spring into action, a comfort grip handle with three locking positions, accessories for the modern golfer enhanced by seven pockets for more storage, and removable all-terrain wheels which slide right into place. The new Zero Friction Wheel Pro Golf Bag checks every box for every golfer. Push, carry, or cart, the decision is yours thanks to Zero Friction. Head to ZeroFriction.com today. Welcome back to the Fairways of Life show. So, Dom, did you do a uh, survey question today? What is it? Uh, yes, hello. Good morning. I did do a survey question. Would you like to hear it? Yes. Yes. Uh, all right. Um, the question is, should live golf players be allowed to play in the Ryder Cup? I did not specify U.S. or European, although there are separate issues, in my opinion. Because I do believe, and now we're getting into the weeds right away here, but the arbitration situation on the European tour, that has a direct effect on whether they can or cannot do something with the Ryder Cup. Is that accurate? Whereas on the U.S. side, I think it's just a decision. It starts before the arbitration. The European side of the Ryder Cup is controlled by what was then called the European Tour, now called the DP World Tour. The arbitration found that the DP World Tour is within their rights to say to players, no, if you play in competing events without releases, you are subject to fine, you are subject to suspension, and they have a right to do that in accordance with the labor arbitration. So if that's the case, then in Europe, 
for the European side of the Ryder Cup, they have the right to say you are not eligible for the team. They have complete control over it. In the United States, the PGA Tour does not have control in any way over the American side of the Ryder Cup. That belongs to the PGA of America. And the PGA of America has said, no, I mean, if you qualify, you qualify. Which I think is a safe way for them to navigate it because given the politics, they can look at it and go, we're not barring anybody. Right? However, they know that the odds are against a live player being able to qualify. However, well, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, no, no, hold on a second. However, Phil is 23rd. Well, it's 17th, but he's got he's got to come out and play incredible in the next two majors. Uh, However. The captain of the United States Ryder Cup team can he has six picks, so they they do, too, in Europe. They both have six picks, but Zach Johnson has six picks. So the questions that are being asked of Zach Johnson, the so-called pressure, if you will, if it is pressure is people saying to him, would you consider picking? So let me put it this way. Maybe this is another survey question. I'm always giving Dom survey questions, post-survey questions. If, let's say Phil Mickelson or Brooks Kepka, if either of those two had won the Masters, and clearly they want to play for the United States Ryder Cup team, could you keep the Masters champion off your team? Let me let me twist it because they didn't. So it, that's that's retrospect. Let me twist it though more towards the future. If be it DJ or Reed or Phil or Kepka or what have you, if one of those players should win a major championship, and if I asked you that exact same question a few months ago there'd be a large percentage of the audience that would roll their eyes and scoff and go, please, they're not going to be ready to win a major. Right? And I think they came into the Masters, and part of their agenda was to prove to the world, we are amongst the best players of the world. Many of us, at one time or another, were number one in the world. We could play this game. We We still can play this game. So I think that was part of their agenda, and I think they emphatically proved that point in fairness. So back to my question. If one of the aforementioned or otherwise, Taylor Gooch, who just shot these, his pair of 62 to start slow down on the final day, heard him talk about it a little bit ago. If one of these guys wins a major, particularly as we get later in the season and march closer to the time when Zach Johnson will actually be making his captain's picks, how much pressure would be on the captain to pick them? Right, And if you're of the mindset where you just want the best team that you can put out there, would you want that to be the case? Dom, are we hearing anything back on that already? Is it, are there people responding? Uh, yes. Uh, 80% of the people believe live golf players should be allowed to play in the Ryder Cup. Now, let me ask you a question. Stop 80%. there. All right. We'll stop there for a second, Dom. If you had asked that same question in what month are we in the end of April, if you had asked that same question in the beginning of February, what percentage difference do you think there would have been? Um, 
I think the answer I'm going to give you is not a – it might be a little bit of a nonsensical answer, but I think my answer would be if that. you ask the media, it would be totally different. But I think if you ask golf fans, the answer would be the same. From, I don't think it would be that high. From the get-go of this – I don't, I don't think it, know, it wouldn't have been I don't 80%, think the dude. fans care about this. I think you and I care a little bit, and I think the media cares. The media cares a lot, and obviously the tours mm. and the main broadcast entities care a lot. But I don't think the fans care about any of this. No, Maybe what I'm, I'm crazy. saying is, I don't think I they think, care. I, what I think happened was initially there there was. A lot of emotion involved. I think there was more emotion involved than there is now. I'll be honest with you. And initially, the messages were we heard we heard big players talk about this. Tiger talked about this, saying I can't, I wouldn't even think about going to another league and never playing in a major championship again. Right. So there, I think there was this belief: never playing in a Ryder Cup again, et cetera, et cetera. I think there was this belief that, and 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 they used the terms so many times that it became a little bit of an annoying cliche where they talked about golf's ecosystem. Everything was about golf's ecosystem, which means the status quo. And the belief was that golf's ecosystem was going to circle the wagons and shut down points of entry. And then slowly, golf's ecosystem started breaking ranks. And different majors said, uh, you know, we want the best of the best here. This isn't our fight. Our job is to have the best players tee it up and compete. So if you qualify, you're in. Now, it is a position that they can take. It's a position of luxury that they can take now because they know that currently there are no world ranking points being awarded for those live events. So eventually, the players that they're going, yeah, let them in, will start to lose their opportunity to do it. Which raises the whole other discussion we've had a million times about finding a way that world ranking points are properly awarded to to whatever tour it is, live or otherwise. Right? Find a way that, that... given the parameters of the world ranking points, given the way that you administer your respective events, that you find the bridge between the two so that you find common ground. Because if if that's done, then it's going to reveal itself whether or not there is any intent to make it a fair and equitable view of where where players stand as to world ranking points on any tour, on all tours or whether this is about politics. Whether it goes back to that phrase, golf's ecosystem. As I told you, you can tell I really don't like that phrase because it, it, it sounded like code to me to say, no, this is the way we've always done it, so this is the way we're always going to do it. Which we've now seen in, in the weeks and months since, and pretty much no one is adhering to that. And I'm not only talking about the the majors going, hey, if you deserve to be here, you're here. U.S. Open's even more equitable. You go out and qualify. Tee it up, play, get in. Pretty straightforward. Don't care where you're from. Just you deserve to be in, you're in. Right? But I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about look at the massive changes that we've seen on the PGA Tour. And the, and the PGA Tour 
prominent players, Rory amongst them, saying, yeah, yeah, these changes were definitely initiated because of uh, Liv. Okay. That's all right. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with getting better. There's nothing wrong with doing things better than the way that you were doing them, regardless of the reason, even if the, if the reason that they, they go back and forth, throw sand at each other and go, oh, you're copying me, you're copying me, which I get a kick out of too. I mean, even the team concept with, with Liv. Liv didn't conceive that. That didn't come from them. They're not the first ones. The first ones I heard from were the PGL years before. And until recently, I'm not, maybe they still are. They were, they were still floating around with that idea, trying to get some traction there. So it's okay. I always say the same thing, you know, when I get a chance to talk to young people and they're, they're talking about, you know, what their hopes and dreams are, where they want to go, whether it's sports or golf or whatever. Especially when it's business. I always look at, I always look at it the same way and I go, well, if you want to go into a particular field, the first thing that I always recommend to people do is really study the leaders in that respective field. Know why those leaders are the best. Know why they are number one. And then do what they do better. Bring your own individual twist to it. What is it that makes you you in that particular field and that discipline and that product or that service? Right? Right? So when we look at the world of golf right now, I love what the PGA Tour is doing. Said it. I love it. I truly love the idea of these designated events. The part that I'm still not 100% on board with is the part of no cuts. That's the part that I don't fully get. Because I understand the, mind, the, the mindset to say, well, wait a minute, this is for the networks and this is for the sponsors and this is for the hosts. To be able to say, we're going to have the top players there in every round. And I look at that and I kind of scratch my head and go, you know what? You'd have the top players there in every round anyway. Maybe not all of them. Somebody's going to miss the cut here and there. But as a group, they're the top players. They're going to be there, at least by majority of them. It's okay. Star power you're going to have. So then it makes me go, okay, but is this an intent then so you can't get a player in the mix that's not amongst the stars currently? You know, somebody could just have the, the weekend of their life and they win a designated event and they were nowhere near star quality, but they were good enough to be in the designated event field. So that's the one part that I'm still kind of, eh. From an entertainment standpoint, the designated events have been wildly entertaining. And, yeah, the designated events, especially the run that we've been on of them, it impacts fields like we had this past weekend at the Zurich Classic, right? It impacts fields. But if you're, I mean, <laughs> I'm saying this to people who are watching it, you know, a streaming televised golf show on a Tuesday morning. If you're a core golf fan, I'm sure you're like, oh, you're still going to be wildly entertained. I thought Chris Kirk and Eric Cole battling at the Honda was awesome. I enjoyed the Valspar. So I'm going to consume the non-designated events too, and I don't care. 
I'm going to consume because it's good entertainment. It's good golf. These are still the best players in the world. But overall, where we stand right now in the world of golf, as I say to you over and over again, because I believe it, I believe that golf on a global basis is a buffet. And you pull from the table that which appeals to you. Maybe a little bit of everything. I'm probably that. But maybe one thing that one guy likes, like Dom Wolf and Down anchovies, you might find that repulsive. Anchovies? Yeah. What the hell? You could have said anything. Is that anchovies? <laughs> like so anyway, what do you hear? Defend myself here. What are you hearing from the people, Dom? Uh, well, they're mostly going back and forth about who should or shouldn't be on Ryder Cup teams. They're still on that that train of trying to figure out whether or not live players should or should not be part of Ryder Cup teams. I continue to say the same thing which is me personally, I am just rooting hard for mass chaos. Like, I want Bryson to win the PGA Championship because that turns everything upside down. Right now, everybody is hedging. That's what it feels like to me. All the major entities are hedging. Like, you mentioned the PGA of America or some of these people looking at the standings, and they're like, well, they're basically like, we're not going to make any decisions on anything. Because they're, they're hoping that the world rankings will slide enough that, like, Brooks Koepka will go so far down that list that it just doesn't matter. It won't be a discussion because there'll be 56 on the list. But what happens if Bryson wins a PGA championship? Or what happens if Brooks finishes top five in all the majors? He's going to be in the top ten on that list if that happens. And then the discussion will have to be had, and the decision will have to be made. And as a golf fan... I, and as a media person, I guess you could call it, I absolutely love the possibility of mass chaos. I would love to see Brooks Kepka number eight in the U.S. standings because then there would have to be a decision made. They would have to pick a side. And I love that drama. I love the drama of they're, they're gun, there's a hard line in the sand. It wouldn't be a situation where it's like, well, they're right on the border, so I don't know if they should or shouldn't be picked. They'd be in a position where they absolutely deserve to, have to get the pick, and they'll have to make a decision. Do I pick them or do I not pick them? Or if they qualify automatically completely, maybe they make, maybe he makes it to number six, or any of these guys make it to number six. So even though the world rankings are structured in a manner right now where the live guys are not collecting any real points, there are scenarios, and there is a, a game that could be played out where these guys do automatically qualify. If Brooks wins two majors, he will be in the top six. You know, based it's on the an points. Un- it's an unfair question to ask you because just out of the blue, do you know how much he moved up after the Masters? We we know he's seventeenth in the I, list right I, now. I, I I do I do know I can answer that. Hold I'm on. curious what that jump was with the second place finish at um, the Masters. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Because there's there's no indication. I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the points because the points are like a bajillion higher for the um, the amount of Ryder Cup points. Because it's based, again, everything's so strangely arbitrary. It's based on a point system, the U.S. rankings. And the points are not like identical to FedEx Cup points. It's like a whole different point system. Mm-hmm. So hold on. Let me do the math. Give me a what, second, what, and I'm going to give you While Dom's doing that, that I do want to tell you guys I'm pretty pumped up today because today I'm going to get fit for the new PXG Gen 6 clubs. I'm happy to go to one of the local retailers right here uh, in Orlando 
for me, for my testing. Uh, so if you get a chance, I would highly recommend you can you can either go on to pxg.com or call 844-PLAY-PXG and find out how and where you can get fit as well for the new Gen 6 clubs. Easy to hit, blazing fast, beyond forgiving, outstanding distance to help you hit it long and right down the middle with lower scores and more fun experience. PXG's game-changing quality and performance. Schedule your Gen 6 fitting today just like I have. Cannot wait. And again, you can log on to pxg.com or call 844-PLAY-PXG for more information on where their retailers are around the country or how you can get fit wherever you are. All right, Dom, what would you find out? I don't know the answer yet. Hold on. Sit tight. I'm not that good at math. you got to give me a second here. Oh, I, th- I didn't know. I thought, I thought you had it like easy no, access. No, I've got to physically like, do the math. No, 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 no. No, I don't have a – no, I don't have any – I don't have special access. I'm a, just some guy with a shirt on who loves anchovies, apparently. He's <laughs> like vehement about it. Denies it now. But the interesting thing is when when and this is going to send Dom into another tizzy. When you're talking about the chaos theory and you love the chaos theory, which which admittedly is good for any kind of talk show, golf, sports, news, whatever. Yesterday, you were all upset because of the news that Tucker Carlson was out at Fox and Don Lemon was out at CNN. And you were like, what's happening with all our news and blah, blah, blah. I was telling Dom, Dom, this is the chaos theory. Because right now, it's really interesting to me when it comes to the big media. And all the big media, for some reason, feel like they have to take a hard side. Right? Which I have felt and continue to feel is still a mistake. I believe the vast majority of us view ourselves as reasonable people and that we don't make decisions based solely upon hard ideology or somebody in the extreme who's telling us what to think. Instead, we're going to look at a situation and make a decision based upon what we think is a reasonable set of circumstance and facts. But right now, we're in a world where we're supposed to be told what to think. We're supposed to be told where we are to be outraged, how and why and with whom. So I think what's happening is, especially with the news channels right now, they are absolutely bleeding. And I believe the reason that they're bleeding is I think that the American public is tired of being told what we should and should not be offended by. What we should and should not think. What agendas should be important to us. I think people are fed up with that. I think people are tired of being told that they are the problem. You're the fault. People are tired of it. So my conviction is that the news organizations ultimately that will emerge and prevail are those that truly engage in balanced and fair journalism. Not on one side or not on the other side. They're going to be these companies that go out and say, okay, we want the real story, not the story you want me to tell on one side or the other. So I don't know. I, I feel differently about it. The fact that they're all, they're all crumbling and trying to rebuild, my hope is that what it's going to represent is that we're going to start to get some true equity in terms of how stories are reported in, instead of nothing but agendas and ideology. What would you find out, Dom? 
So the way it works is for a major championship, stick with me here. I'll give you the numbers, but you get $1,000. For every $1,000 you earn in a major championship, you get 1.5 points. So basically he got almost, uh, Brooks Kepka got almost all of the points that he has right now accumulated for Ryder Cup which is, uh, I'll give the exact point total. It's 2,636. And, and 1.5, just to be clear, Dom, I believe that's a 50% bump over a regular week, correct? In a qualifying tournament. Yes. You get, if you, if you, yes, you get one point per thousand dollars earned at a regular PGA Tour event. And you get two points earned for every thousand dollars earned if you win a major championship and then you know if you make the cut in a major you get 1.5 for what you earn so he finished second he won 1.5 million dollars in change at the at the masters talking about brooks now and phil for that matter and so what ends up happening is you end up getting a tremendous amount of points essentially he had i think three or four hundred uh rider cup points i'm talking about brooks kepka now so if you add in what I believe, if I did my math correctly, I think he had about 2,300 points for finishing second in the Masters, which put him at 2,600, which puts him to 17th on the list. Now, just for clarity and just to make this simplistic, if he finishes second again, right, let's say at the PGA Championship for the same amount of money, right, he would get an additional 2,300-ish points, which would take him to roughly 5,000 Ryder Cup points, right? If he finishes second again, 5,000 Ryder Cup points right now is right around eighth on the list. He would need to get over 6,000 points, right, to be in the automatic qualifying spot. But he would get over that threshold if he won a major. He would get over that threshold in points. Now, that, now let me be clear. that With all the points left to accumulate and all the majors left, that does not mean that if he won the next major, he is definitely automatically going to stay in the automatic qualifier spots. But it will put him in a position where it would be very difficult to argue that he didn't earn his way onto the team, which would go back to my theory of, that's great. That means someone's going to have to make a choice. Do we take a loop player or not? It's, it's going to be a hard-line decision that they're choosing not to do that. The one question I would have off of this conversation, Matt, for you would be when you're putting together a team, and I think the European team did this for decades, so much of it is about the team room. It's about the chemistry. It's about the feel of the group. And my question would be, if someone who is a live player is number eight on the list, whether you want them on the team or whether you've earned their way on the team would be irrelevant if they would destroy the chemistry of the team in the team room. Is that fair? Oh, yeah, yeah. and that's, Don't you that's, have to uh, take that into account? Oh, yeah. It's a huge consideration for a captain's pick. You know, like, why wasn't Patrick Reed picked? Was that a chemistry thing? Right? You don't know because it's, it's behind the scenes, right? It's, it's their private decisions that they're making. Having said that, though, you know, when we're talking, you're, you're talking in context of, of Brooks Did I explain Kepka. the math correctly? Did it make sense to you just listening to me? It did, because even if your math isn't 100% dead on, it's close enough that it, that it, it speaks yeah. to ascension. My original question to you was how much he moved up 
Where was he? He would have been, if he was at 300-ish, 400-ish, he would have been around, uh, roughly around 90th in the standings. And now he's 17th. Now he's 17th. And we're, again, here we're talking about we're talking about two players because Brooks Koepka and, and Phil both finished second at the Masters. And you've got Phil, who won the PGA Championship, which is the very next major that's coming up, becoming the oldest man ever to win a major. Okay, Phil is capable. He just showed us at the Masters, and he did it just a couple of years ago, right? So we know that he's capable. Then it's the case of Brooks Koepka. Um, it's Brooks Koepka. And if you look, you go, yeah, but, you know, this week he finished, what, 11th at the live event. There's only 48 players. He just wears his form. That's Brooks Kepka. He becomes, he jumps into a phone booth and puts on a, a, a suit with a cape when it comes to the, the majors. Is Brooks Kepka capable of winning the PGA Championship? He told us he is healthy for the first time. Is he capable? Yes. Is he capable of winning the U.S. Open at L.A. Country Club? Yes. Can he win at Royal Liverpool? Um, yeah. And apparently so could Phil with his form. Phil is a bit more of an enigma when it comes to all this stuff because his form didn't seem he, – he told us the whole week of the Masters, I'm close, I'm close, I'm close. I'm about to go on a tear, which he did to his credit over the weekend particularly on Sunday. But other than that, there was no real indication other than him saying, yeah, I'm doing everything that I like and it's all working for me and I feel like I'm getting really close. But yeah, when, you, when you're talking about a pick, a captain's pick, it is definitely about team room chemistry. Having said that, Rory told us, coming in the match, I'm playing a practice round, Brooks. We, see, we all see each other down there in the you know, Jupiter area of Florida all the time. Would there really be dissent in the in the team room? Would it really matter to the players that much? Which ones? Who? Just curious. What's your question, Don? It's, it's kind of an unfair position to put you in, but I know that your knowledge of history of golf is deep. So my question is this. After listening to this discussion for the last 15 minutes, I'm just curious. When the Ryder Cup became, when it was birthed into existence, yes, I think a lot of it had to do with Walter Hagen and Samuel Ryder and whatever. But it wouldn't my exist without this, Walter Hagen. He doesn't get the credit he deserves, but go ahead. Okay. The original intent of the Ryder Cup, do you believe that it was their intention that the United States team, that the, the, the team that is represented by the United States on, in a Ryder Cup competition, should be comprised of the best American golfers in all of the country? Or at the time of its inception, was it more about like the PGA of America? And I know at that time, the PGA of America and like PGA professionals and the PGA Tour was a weird dynamic because there I know was that no the PGA, PGA of Tour. America. That's what I'm saying. It was PGA of America. They were like PGA professionals. They were like touring PGA professionals. No, sort of, they had right? a, something like that. Yeah, yeah. They were all. 
just just to give you the, the background of how this happened, the PGA of America was formed in 1916. The Ryder Cup started in 1927. The first Ryder Cup ever held was at the Worcester Country Club in Worcester, Massachusetts. The reason why the Worcester Country Club was held, which is an amazing little great Donald Ross golf course up in Worcester, Mass., was because it hosted the 1925 U.S. Open. That was the U.S. Open where Bobby Jones called a penalty on himself in the left rough on the 11th hole. Put his club down in a dress, said the ball moved. He was playing with Walter Hagen. And Hagen begged him not to take the penalty. They actually asked members of the gallery, did you see it move? 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 And everyone's like, no, I don't don't see it move. And that was where Bobby Jones had had the famous quote where everyone was praising him for for taking the, the penalty stroke. He ultimately went into a playoff. I believe it was against Willie McFarlane. You can look, you can check me on that. 1925 U.S. Open winner, Dom. And he lost. Bobby Jones lost. Had he not assessed himself that penalty stroke, he, he would have won the U.S. Open, right? And so he was being praised, and he, he had the quip where he said, you might as well praise a man for not robbing a bank. What did you say, Dom? Was it Willie? It was Willie McFarlane. Yeah. Okay, I'm just trying so to get it. it. I, my my intention is what, what I know where you're going. I know I know where you're going. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to it. I just I just allow allow me my diversions. So everyone liked the way the golf course performed as the venue for the U.S. Open, and the year before the start of the official Ryder Cup, there was an event. It was at Wentworth, and many call it the first Ryder Cup because it was the so-called rabbit ears in the air, in the air, American side against GB and I. And they played golf and they had chicken sandwiches afterwards, reportedly. Right. And that was where the concept was born. Many people, again, feel historically that was truly the first Ryder cup, but it wasn't declared. It wasn't known as the Ryder cup, even though Samuel Ryder, a wealthy seed merchant was involved. And and to his credit, without Samuel Ryder, particularly backing the effort of the GB and I team, which is Great Britain and Ireland, to participate in what would become the Ryder Cup. And the fact that the little guy on top of the Ryder Cup trophy is modeled after Abe Mitchell, who was Sam Ryder's coach. Abe Mitchell was also named the first captain of the GB and I team. Ultimately, he wasn't able to travel because he got ill. Ted Ray took on the responsibility. If it wasn't for Walter Hagen, the event wouldn't exist. What people don't realize that Walter Hagen, not only as a participant, as a member of Team USA, not only as captain, he also put his own money into it, buying uniforms and all kinds of things. If it wasn't for him, it just wouldn't exist. Philosophically, concept, uh, practically, execution, all of it. So... What Don was asking about, which takes me back to the, the formation of the, the PGA of America, was 1916. Ryder Cup officially started in 1927. The PGA of America had a tour players division, which were players 
that as it started to evolve where you had players of the likes of really the great triumphant was the start of it, even though all three of those guys had other gigs, had other jobs. But by the time we got into the 1950s, particularly the late 1950s, players who were tour players through this network of events, many of which had been established for a number of years by then, that they could play, they could make some money, they could move on. The exempt list when it went to 15 upset Ben Hogan, who was the the ultimate free market competitor, believed basically that you eat what you kill. So the whole idea of being exempt didn't sit well in the early days when it was rough and tumble. It was a bar fight. So by the time they get into the 1960s, where you have matinee stars like Arnold Palmer, Gary Player comes in, Jack Nichols emerges, wins the 1962 U.S. Open in a playoff over Arnold Palmer at Oakmont, Palmer's backyard, right? Game changed right then, forevermore, never to be back where it was again. And even as late as 1960, you still had Ben Hogan in the mix at that U.S. Open. That was won by, yeah, Arnold Palmer. So into the 1960s, the Ryder Cup continued to emerge in prominence. Remember, in 1969 was the so-called concession. Jack Nicklaus telling Tony Jacklin to pick up his putt on the final hole that caused the Ryder Cup to finish in a draw. The first time that Team GB and I had done anything since 1957. The captain of the team that year was Sam Sneed, who was incensed because who was the captain of the prior Ryder Cup team that absolutely romped? Ben Hogan, his rival. Sneed reportedly saying, we didn't come over here to be good old boys. So by the late 1960s, there was a revolution called caused in the game of golf. Think about that relative to today's history just for a second. In the socially turbulent times of the late 1960s, so too was it a turbulent time in the game of golf. Because the likes of Jack Nicklaus, and yeah, Arnold Palmer's voice was heard too, but Jack Nicklaus was a driving force to say, having tour players as part of the PGA of America and having us go through training just like any other PGA pro would go through, et cetera, doesn't work for us. We are tour players. The PGA of America said, what are you talking about? Tour players said, we want our own. They fought it. It was a battle. I'm telling you, this is a piece of golf history that nobody knows about. It was a battle. Ultimately, finally, because through the leadership of Jack Nicholas, who was still a very young man then, saying, we're doing this. PGA of America said, fine, fine. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. But we're keeping the PGA championship, and we're keeping our side of the Ryder Cup. That's how it happened. That's when, that's why, that's how. So to answer your question directly, Dom, from the very onset, The idea was that you put together a structure that will cause the best 
players from their respective sides. And as I go forward in that history, Jack Nicholas was very prominent as a voice to say all of Europe should join the GB&I team, which they did for the very first time in 1979. And they still got soundly trounced by the American side. It wasn't really until Tony Jacklin came in in 1981 that, that, that whole, the whole dynamic of the Ryder Cup changed. But having said all that, from the very onset, the structure of the Ryder Cup and who should be allowed to, re- to represent their respective sides was based upon the merits of how you played. At one time, all 12 players qualified. There were no captain's picks. You're on there because you qualified on there. There's been various iterations through the years, as you know. But it was never intended to reward players out of a sense of loyalty for a particular or prominent tour that they play on, even though the majority of the American players, and at one time 100% of them, came from the PGA Tour. Which only, again, underscores and illustrates how the era that we're in right now is so incredibly unique because we've never had this before. In the late 1960s, when the tour division split away and formed the PGA Tour, there was never a schism where, where the tour players continued to have their tour and the PGA Tour, fledging at the time, new PGA Tour started their own. That never happened. It was a clean break. With provisions, as I mentioned to you. So you took me down a long road, a passionate one there, Dom. Sorry about that, but that, that's exactly how it happened. Well, I mean, yeah, but that's my point. My point is if the intention was to have the best Americans form a team, then while you were talking, I'm looking at I'm like, Noah Goodwin's played like three events in Canada. He's won two of them. Ben Coles has won like, one on the Corn Ferry Tour and finished top 10 like his last three events or whatever. Like, these are the best Americans right now. They're not being considered at all. They're not on any list anywhere. And the provisions in the Ryder Cup selectivity stuff explicitly says you can only earn points in a PGA Tour event, period, full stop, unless it's a major yeah, championship. Yeah, but, but you can't blame anybody for that being in place. At the time, that was the only, only way it could happen. It was the only thing that existed. That's what why this is such a remarkable time period that we're in. Yeah, but is it? But th- that's my point. Do you, and, and it's not you. I'm just sort of asking generically to the people. Do you think the Ryder Cup should be comprised of the best Americans playing the best golf in the United States at the time of the event, it or in the be, world? It could yes, come from any walk of professional golf. It could come yes. from the Live Tour. It could come from the Corn Ferry Tour. Those guys aren't getting any points right now. Or the so, Champions Tour. Do, yes. Do, it, it, yes. Yes. Should, it, should that be what it is? You see, it, you, now you just you, you trigger another thought in my mind. This, this is why, and this directly relates back to Live, because the Champions Tour play three rounds. The, the official World Golf Rankings do award world rankings to tours that play three rounds. Right? It's not unheard of. But I've always wondered, why aren't there points for the PJ Tour champions as well? There should, we should have some sense of that ranking, right? Maybe I'm wrong on that, and it, it started to kick in, but it should be there. No, I don't think they get any points at all, um, which doesn't make any sense. Again, that, 
I, I'm not saying I know the answer, and I'm just asking the question. I'm not even saying that you know the answer or, or that the answer well, is anything it, it, other than There is than no just an answer. It's all it. opinions right now. I know, but it's just like, is the intention of the Ryder Cup to have the best Americans form a team, or is the intention of the Ryder Cup the best players from the PGA Tour make a team of PGA Tour All-Stars? Which also yeah. isn't bad. That's a hell of a team. That's... A good team. I'd love to watch that team. That team right now is kick-ass. And, that's, and, that, and, and you could probably argue that that team of players is the best Americans in the world. You could make that argument. But, but the Corn Ferry Tour is very competitive. Live Golf is competitive. You saw Brooks Koepka just finished second in the Masters. So did Phil Mickelson. I think that uh, the PGA Tour champions is competitive. And you can see certain players on the PGA Tour champions, you know, like a Bernhard Langer who finished his top five, top ten consistently, or I could go and look at the standings, but there's a couple guys that are in the mix almost every week that are obviously playing incredible golf. And to have someone like Bernhard, you know, not Bernhard Langer is a bad example because he's a German, but if you pick an American, right, have that person in alternate shot. With 30 years' experience, having played in 10 Ryder Cups, like, that's pretty interesting dynamic. And you know they're playing you. good golf. I don't know. There's a lot here to unpack. It's interesting. There's a lot. I, it, and we're going to continue down this pathway tomorrow. We've got a guest coming on that I think may be able to give us some pretty unique perspective. One, because this person is from outside the core of the golf industry but their job is to constantly give us news, information, data, facts based on what the golf industry actually is doing, what is happening. And the reason why that matters is what I always say is because ultimately who, who and what everybody is after are you guys. You are the people that they all need. You are the lifeblood that they have to have. So, when anybody makes declaratives, it goes back to my earlier comments about the news organizations. When anybody makes declaratives about how you're supposed to feel or what you're supposed to do, ultimately the numbers tell the honest story. Is there a trend up, down, and different? We're going to talk about that more tomorrow. Thank you for your company today, folks. Goodbye for now.